So I looked up a list of the hardest jobs that are around, and there was a list of 30. Surprisingly, pastor and counselors weren't on the list, which I was shocked by, because after this year especially, I think those are got to be some of the hardest ones. The hardest job was being in the military. So raise your hand if you've ever served in our military. Everybody give them a round of applause. That was listed as the hardest job. The second hardest job was healthcare. So raise your hand if you've been in healthcare, or still are. Give them a round of applause. What a hard year to work in those fields. Other ones were being on an oil rig. That was number three. Raise your hand if you... I assume no one has, but maybe. Anyone worked on an oil rig in here? The fourth was an Alaska crab fisher. That's the fourth hardest job they listed. And the fifth one, which I know I could never do, was the people who climb cell phone towers to repair them. If you ever just want to be freaked out by a video, pull up YouTube and look up cell phone tower repairmen. These guys climb up these things, and they're, especially the ones out in Kansas, they're out in the middle of nowhere, and they're thousands of feet up in the sky. I was just like, no way. There's no way I'm doing that. I did find, though, the hardest job that was listed, I found a resume for it. So the hardest job was a director of operations, and here was the requirements for people for this job. It was 135 hours a week or more. Like your base was 135. I'm out. They have to be able to be standing, moving, kneeling, constantly on the move. There's no breaks, like scheduled breaks. Like you may get a break, but you, there's no scheduled breaks. The only time you get a chance to eat is when your direct report tells you that you can. <laughs> you have to be able to handle 10 to 15 projects at a time, and several times a week you have to work overnight. You don't always know when it'll be, but you have to work overnight. Is anybody clue in on who, what this job is? Yeah. Mothers, thank you. Or fathers, some of us pull the weight too. Alicia's gone this weekend. Like, I'm holding down the fort with all the kids, so all of your parents of just a couple, you don't even understand. <laughs> oh, there's no pay, right? Like, that was the last part. So you don't have any pay for this job, right? Who was qualified to be a mom when they first stepped into it? You're not, right? Today we're going to talk about Acts chapter 4. We've been going through this sermon um, Scott and I like to joke in the DR on the trips that we've taken, we often make up different words in Spanish. We probably shouldn't do it because to some people it may be offensive. Vesna, my sweet friend who is from Mexico, she calls it my Arby's dialect. So we call it Dialecto de Arby's because that's where I learned my Spanish. For four years I worked there and I tried hard with several of my coworkers who only spoke Spanish. I would work hard. So my, my Arby's dialect, we called it Actos. So instead of acts, we call it actos. It's a made-up word. It's actually hos, but I told Scott that I would try to fit that in. It was funnier when we were talking. But <laughs> So if you can turn to actos chapter 4, that's where we're going to... You can follow along. We're, the words are also going to be up there as well. But how many of you dreamt when you were little to be ordinary? Remember that commercial from a few years ago? Like, man, like I want to work at like a silly job where I can work my way up to middle management. Like, if I can just make it, like, an ordinary life, right? Like, no, like, we didn't strive for that as kids. We weren't like, I just want, like, a simple, like, I don't want to be extraordinary. Well, today we're going to learn that ordinary is awesome. Because that's the theme as I was reading through this. 
ordinary is awesome. So follow along. We're going to read through quite a bit of Acts 4 today. So Acts 4, verse 1. And it says this, And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed. This is Peter and John who they're talking about. Because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to be about 5,000. Did you miss it? What a sermon. 5,000 people came to know Jesus. That's the momentum that's right here in Acts chapter 4. Let's catch this. Like People were coming and flocking and wanted to know about Jesus. The next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the highly priest family, priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and the elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we are to be saved. So there's three parts of my sermon today where we can see that ordinary is awesome. Ordinary is awesome when it's from Him. You see in that part, it says that Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. All through Acts, you're going to continue to see this theme. That God moves on them, He fills them, and then something awesome happens. It's not, I do all of my work and all of my preparation and I get all of my stuff together, and then something awesome happens. It's never that. Throughout this, we need to remember that it's from Him. Jesus is moving, right? He just goes up into heaven. We're seeing him moving in Acts, and he comes along, and Jesus' work continues. It's not Jesus who's doing it anymore. Jesus, though, is inside of Peter and John. 5,000 people. Jesus continued to heal, and he saved 5,000 people. 5,000 people came to know Jesus that day and that night. And what else we see is that Peter reminded them who was in control. At the end of this portion, he's saying it was Jesus who healed this man. He wasn't taking any of the credit. We're going to learn how long this man had been crippled and who this man was to some extent through this next passage. What I want you to remember is that ordinary obedience is often extraordinary. Did you catch that? Ordinary obedience... A simple act of, yes, God, I will, is often extraordinary. When I think of, God, I want to change the world. I remember being a young, younger man. 
I was in my early 20s, and I was going to Bible school, and my dreams were, I'm going to save the world. I'm going to bring them to Jesus. And I was off. Because it was about me. Now, it's not wrong to have big goals and dreams, but if it starts with, God, use me, I want to be the one who makes a difference, then I'm in trouble. Because I've forgotten that it's, God, how are you going to change the world today? And knowing that in my humility, I do get to be a part of that. I get to have an influence in my world, which is incredible. But is it me that's going to change them? It better not be. Because then we're going to be in trouble. Ordinary obedience is often extraordinary. Let's look at our second passage. So we continue on. This is Acts 13. And he says this. He says, Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men. Remember that phrase. They were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who had been healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, these are all those leaders, what shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all of them were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. So here's a man who 40 years old cannot walk. And most days, he gets brought out in front of one of the gates. They call it the beautiful gate in chapter 3. So he sat down in front of the beautiful gate, and it's one of the closest gates to to the temple that was right inside of that gate. We know that because right after they heal him, he goes into the temple with them. So he's there with them. So how many of you know your common panhandlers or people who are asking for money around the city? Some of you probably can think of one in your mind. There was one on one of the exits where I get off to go to work. He would stand there almost every day, and he actually had a basketball. And he would spin this basketball, and then he had this stick that was probably seven feet long, and he would spin the basketball on the stick, and then he would hold it up, and it would still be spinning up there, right? Like, I know this person. Is this a famous person? Many of you probably don't know who this person is. But because that was my route every single day to work, I would see him several times a week. So picture this man now, out in front of the temple. You and your family are coming year after year. Maybe you only make the pilgrimage three times a year to come and do your offering. But there was three times a year where the, where the Jewish people would return at least and come to the temple. Many of them would have seen him every day. This is a very famous man who wasn't famous. You see what I'm saying? 
It's a very common person. They knew who this person was. And Peter and John walked by him one day, and in chapter 3 it says that they saw him, and they stopped. And we see this human element where they see him, and they tell him, some of you may know the story, they say, silver and gold have I not, but what I have I will give to you. Stand up and be healed in the name of Jesus. Forty years of not being able to move, to not be able to walk around and dance and bring your offering by yourself. And he was healed. Do you think that this person would be excited about this Jesus that they are proclaiming? This is why all those leaders are thinking, how do we shut this down? This guy's not going to shut up. Because he was in with Peter and John of the temple and he was just like, he was over the moon. And rightfully so, Jesus had met him and healed him. But this was a common step for them. They didn't set out that morning thinking, how are we going to do this? It was just as they were walking through their day, they stopped and they saw a man. And I think being filled with the Spirit, they said, I want to make a difference with this man. Who are the small, who you might consider insignificant people in your life that need you to be obedient this week? You see, at this point, Peter and John were not scholars. They weren't teachers. They hadn't studied. They had been with Jesus. So let's put up this first word. I need all of my Greek scholars to be able to come out. Ordinary is awesome when it's through him. Put up this first Greek word, and if you know this word, I want you to be able to tell me what it is. Yeah, let's go to the next one. Who Who knows what that word is? I didn't know it either, so it's okay. This word means, it's the Greek word if you transliterate it, it's agramatos. And it means dumb or illiterate. And where we see this is as we were reading, it's that phrase I was telling you. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and they perceived them to be uneducated, that's this word. Agramatos. They were illiterate unlearned or dumb. And the next word that can be up there, who knows this one? This is my favorite out of all of the words in this passage because I relate to it so well. Anyone know what this one is? This is the Greek word idiotes. Anyone figure out where that word, where we get our word from? <laughs> they were dumb idiots. I almost named the title of my sermon that. Dumb idiots for Jesus. Because... Man, that's what I am. Who else can relate to that? Like, these were not scholars. They weren't leaders. They weren't famous. Jesus, when he was like setting the world in motion thousands of years ago and looked at this moment, was like, I'm going to build a dream team of the smartest people, the most influential people. No, he said, I'm going to use a bunch of knuckleheads who know how to fish pretty well. I hope this is hitting you. If you think that you are unqualified, then fit in and be a dumb idiot for Jesus with me. I love this so much. It just feels so good to know that I'm in great company because the reality is if Peter and John did walk in the room, I would want to learn everything I could from them. 
Because they were with Jesus. That's the second part of this. You can write it in your notes if you're following on. Peter and John had been with Jesus. We can't discount that. It says it there. They were uneducated, common men. They were astonished by this, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Some of the most amazing people that I've ever known in my life are the people who consistently take time to be with Jesus. When we lost Dean Fraze earlier this year, that was one of the things that always stood out to me as I got to know him, was just this reality that the man sought to be with Jesus. And while he was with Jesus, he would get filled up and then could take those simple steps of obedience. I can do that. So how can we be with Jesus? I really wanted to look at some practical ways. Throughout Scripture in Acts, you'll see it, they walked with the Spirit or they were in Christ, as you see those terms, think of that. If you're thinking, how can I do that? And some of the things that we can do when we walk in the Spirit, there's a verse that says, when we walk in the Spirit, we will not gratify the desires of the flesh. I know for me, if there's areas of life that I'm sinning in, if I'm being extra angry, if I'm on edge with my children, or if things just aren't going well, that's a cue to me to realize, like, man, like I'm not sitting with Jesus enough. I'm not letting the Holy Spirit come and work on my life. Those fruit of the Spirit that we were talking about, love, joy, peace, patience. Scott's joked about it, right? Like if we're a tree trying to grow the fruit, like, come on, try harder. Like, you're not going to grow more fruit that way. The way that you grow fruit is to be nurtured. That's the Spirit working inside of you, not something that you're working on in yourself. Just be more patient. I've thought that thought. Like, why can't I just be more patient instead of, God, come and work on my life and you be more patient inside of me. So how are we in Christ? John Piper had a great article I read that had six ways that we know we can be in Christ. And it has nothing to do with us. So if you're thinking, man, I really want to work on this. The ways that we know we're in Christ is that we realize that grace came to us before the world began, Scripture says. That grace was given to us before the foundations were even there. You can't earn that grace. We were chosen before creation. At the beginning of time, God the great architect is mapping out the world. And he said, I pick you to be here right now. We can rest in that. There is an inseparable love of God. There's nothing you can do that gets you away from God's love. We are redeemed and forgiven, not because of us. We are justified and given righteousness. So those of you that don't know, the word novation means a new beginning. And it's a legal term. So all of the things that I ever did wrong are on a piece of paper. And it's a really long piece of paper. And it just goes and goes and goes. And the amazing thing is that Jesus on the cross took that piece of paper and then he held out his piece of paper of all the things that he had ever done right. And he put it on top of it. So when God the Father looks at me, all that he can see is what Jesus did because Jesus took my place. That's all he sees. We can rest in that reality that we're a new creation.
Yeah, one of the last things that I have there in this section is to remember that when we're in Christ, when we're resting in the reality that what God did for us was enough, that there's no condemnation. There's therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When we're resting in that reality that what God did was enough, when Jesus died, it was enough. We don't need to feel condemnation. We'll feel conviction. We'll think of the ways, man, I need to do this differently. God, help me do that. That's appropriate. Conviction to change, to move is good. Condemnation where it says you're a failure, you'll never amount to anything, you'll never get it right, that's not from God. That's not the heart of God for us. So let's read our final section in Acts 4. This is verse 23. It says, When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together in God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said, to, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord... Look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Ordinary is awesome when it's to him. And where I got this from him, through him, to him is actually in Romans. It says, for him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. When I'm setting out to do something, am I pouring in at the feet of Jesus and say, fill me up? Is it coming from God? And then as I'm working through something, is it through Him that I'm finding strength? And then as I'm acting and I'm moving and I'm trying to reach out, is it to Him that I'm trying to bring glory? From Him, through Him, to Him. When we're in that mode, ordinary is awesome. You see, there's two things that we need as we proceed. You see that in this Scripture. And the two things that we need are dependence and boldness. The first thing they did, they get thrown in jail, they're out of jail, they're talking, they say, don't ever speak in the name of Jesus again. They're scared to death. Don't ever do it. And they said, we have to do it. So the first thing they did is they said, God, they cried out to God in dependence on Him and say, God, give us the words to speak. Give us this. They were dependent on Him. And then they were bold. You see, Jesus was the most dependent human to ever walk the earth. I think sometimes in our Western American culture, 
there's this glorification of an independent person who gets stuff done. And they're able to do it and they go out and they conquer and and some of that can be okay. But I don't see that in Christ. I see Christ as being the most dependent person to ever walk the earth. So many times in Scripture we read where Jesus got away. And He went and got away to be with His Father. To be restored and renewed. And He was dependent. And then, filled with the Holy Spirit, they continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. This is our part. Our part is to be rooted in Christ. To remember all of those things. To spend time with Him. To know that we are so rooted in Christ that we can have boldness to go out in love. To take those small steps of obedience. Because that's what God has called us to do. Many of us have so many vocations in life. Martin Luther, years and years ago, said that we have so many vocations, and his term for it was masks. But his wasn't in a negative way. He said that we all have masks that we wear. And we put these masks on. So some of my masks are, I have a father mask that I wear. And when I'm in that role as a dad, it takes boldness to have hard conversations, to be patient, to be loving. I also have a husband mask that I put on. I put this mask on and it's my job to care for my wife, to seek her. She really appreciates it when I, when, I, when I really seek to understand her and to know what her needs are instead of just guessing, to draw her out, to be seen and understood. Uh, this morning I'm wearing a mask as someone here in the church who's teaching and it takes boldness to be able to step up and say, I'm going to wear this teacher mask. So what are those masks that you have to put on? What are the different vocations is the word that he used? Are you doing all of those where you're rooted from him, through him, and to him? Are you listening to God's truth about who you are? rather than those lies, those messages that go on repeat. I have several of them. Some of them are, you're not qualified enough. Some of them are, you waste too much time to be effective. Some of them are, that you're not enough. Because for years I've tried and over and over in my own strength to prove to God and to others that, that I can be enough instead of just resting in the reality that Jesus is the one who needed to say you're enough. So what are those messages? What are you believing? I believe that Second Peter 1.3 says that His divine power has given us all that we need for life and godliness. If you think you're unqualified today, that verse strikes that down. Because God has given you all that you need to be a good friend, to be a good coworker. All of the aspects of your life, Jesus is with you in it. 
for all of the things that you dream and say, oh, I wish I was a better Christian. Oh, I wish I served more. Oh, whatever it is, stop striving for that and know that God is with you and He's given you all you need to be a godly person, to follow after Him. So we must go boldly and dependently on God. So my question for us is this. Where do you need to depend on God instead of relying on your own strength? Pause for a moment and let God speak to you. Are there areas in your life that you depend on your own strength? You pull yourself up by the bootstraps and say, I'm going to get this done. Instead of saying, God, I need, I need you today. Believe me, when I wake up the morning of, of doing a sermon... <laughs> because this isn't what I normally do, I'm really dependent on God. I've mentioned this before, but when I wake up some Tuesdays, it's like, eh, it's just Tuesday. I got Tuesday. Tuesday's an easy day for me. How foolish. How foolish to not start my day and say, God, I have no idea what's going to come across today. I have no idea the people that you're going to bring into my life I have no idea that checkout clerk that's at the store that may simply need a smile and a thank you. But I think I got it. I don't want to be that. I want to rely so much on Jesus to help me get through my days. So where do we need to depend more on God? The second part is what can you do this week to be with Jesus? Some of you may not have read it. I've spoken of it before, but I highly suggest it. I told our home group a little bit about it at the beginning of the year, but there's a book Scott gave to me years ago called Sacred Pathways. And the concept of the book is there's lots of ways to come and connect with God. And for me, for many years, the only way that I felt like was appropriate to come and connect with God was to open a Bible and a concordance and have silence and hours to just sit there and study God's Word, because that, in my mind, is what a good Christian did. And that is a great way for some of us to connect to God. And for some of us, that might not be a great way to connect to God. For some of us, we need to get out of our house. And for me, I've got a spot. It's up on Lookout Mountain, and I drive up past the M, and I've got a little turnout, and there's a rock that I go and sit on. I don't do it often, but I did it just about a week and a half ago. And I sit and I look over the city and I just am quiet outside of my office, outside of my home, and I be with Jesus. There hasn't been a time where I've done some of these intentional things where I'm not like, man, that was a waste of time. (laughs) What can you do this week to be with Jesus? Do you even know what that looks like? And it's okay if you don't. The invitation, though, is there. For some of us, it may be put some earbuds in and crank the worship music and sing as loud. Well, I guess you shouldn't do that if you're driving. I was thinking you should drive, but if you have earbuds in, don't drive with earbuds in. But be somewhere in worship. Get caught up in the emotion of that worship and be with God. 
So many of us have lost loved ones. Our good friend in our home group lost her father just this weekend. A coworker of mine is out of state right now because he's at his dad's funeral as well. Not only for ourselves, going through such a hard season, this last several years has been so hard. I'm a fool to think that I don't need Jesus in these times. I'm also a fool to think that other people have got this during these times. Who are the people in your life that desperately need you to take a bold step of obedience this week and share with them that hope that lies within you? To share with them that light that God has put inside of you. Someone needs it this week. And that could simply be when you see them to put your hand on their shoulder and say, I see you. Or if someone's down, you say, hey, can I pray for you? I encourage all of the people that I work with, if you regularly see someone and they're not doing well, that's an invitation to at least ask that question. It's pretty rare that someone's going to look you in the eyes and say, no, don't pray for me. It may happen. But what I have found is in those moments, people are so overwhelmed with what's going on in their life that when someone else sees them with that simple act, it can change their whole day. Boldness in the ordinary. Remember, ordinary obedience is often extraordinary. So I put on your chairs a piece of paper and a pen. I'd like you to pull that out. And I'm going to pause for two minutes. I'm going to keep track. And I'm going to pray. And my prayer is that God will put a name of someone into your mind that you need to be with this week. And I don't know what that looks like. It may be a prayer. It may be just a time of giving someone a phone call that you know, man, I need to call that person. So Father, be with us during these next two minutes and reveal to us who it is that we need to reach out to this week. Just one name. Write it on the paper when you know you have that name. As big or as small or as artistic or simple as you would like. And begin to pray for that person, even right now. Who's the one? Everyone reach one this week.
Who needs your boldness this week? Your simple step of obedience. Each one reach one. Father, I thank you for this time. I thank you that you want to be with us. That the creator of the world, the author of all things, chooses to walk with us today. And much like you went to Adam, even after he failed, and he said, Adam, where are you? You knew right where he was. It was a deeper question. It was a question of, where's your heart? Where are you today? I want to know you. I want to be with you. I want to walk with you. I want relationship with you. Even through the times that we fail you. Even through the times that I reject you and push you away. You're still there. Ready for relationship with me. I'm so grateful that you want to be with us. I pray for the people that's names are written down on these lists, that you will move mountains for us this week to meet with these people, to be in their lives, to encourage them, to bless them, to simply walk with them, that you'll give some of us the boldness that we need to take that first step of obedience. because we want you to be extraordinary in their lives. We may just be a common person to them, normal. But God, when you intervene, it becomes extraordinary. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.